Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Welcome to the Book of Daniel sermon series. We'll start with chapter one. The goal of chapter one is to help you see how God calls us to be different in the midst of a culture that doesn't always represent God. There are three main ideas we hope you walk away with. Babylon, the symbol of opposition to God's kingdom. Sin, transgression, an act of rebellion and unfortunately God's punishment. And three, embracing being different. That God's favor rests solely on those with a godly countercultural mindset. Hold on to these ideas as they're being discussed today in this week's sermon, Choosing to be Different. Take it away, Pastor B. Amen. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. We ought to rejoice and be glad in it. The, the worship team was singing, and there was a part of that song that was saying, I am free indeed. Anybody free in the house today? Come on, I need free people to free people open their mouths and worship the one that set them free. Our King, our King Jesus. What a God we serve that would love us the way he does love us. You know, he loves unlovable people. I know you feel like you that dude, but we were enemies to God. Even, even the goodness we brought to the table was an enemy to him, but yet he still desired to love you. He still desired to lavish that love on you. And that's why we gather here today. We gathered here so we can worship together, so we can sit under the teaching of the word of God together. We can see our brothers and sisters, and we're only brothers and sisters together because of the love that Jesus has shown us on the cross. I don't know about y'all, but I'm always excited to be here uh, together with you guys. Welcome to our first time visitors. Those who are online, if it's your first time hanging with us, we are a church that believe we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. 2.6 million people live in the borough of Brooklyn, and we are on mission to make sure that we are engaging each and every one of them with the gospel message, Christ, this message that changes lives and that transforms cities, that redeems the broken, that restores marriages, that breaks addictions. How many know that's what the gospel is able to do? And speaking of gospel, it's my responsibility to preach. I'm excited about doing so. Grab your Bibles and get to the book of Daniel or your devices. As Artie said in the video, we are starting a brand new sermon series today through the book of Daniel. Assimilation, separation. A transformation. If you'll notice, whenever God calls us in a culture, he never calls you to assimilate fully into the culture, but he also doesn't call us to separate completely from the culture. He calls us to transform it. And I would argue today that one of the ways that we transform this culture is by being different. Uh, here's my commitment to you. We're at the start of this, this, uh, this book, Daniel chapter one. And my commitment is that we won't skip over any chapters. Those of you, how many have gone through a book with us before? Let me see your hands nice and high. If you've gone through a book of the Bible before, okay, so most of the room has not gone through a book with us. There's a couple of promises I make at the top. Number one, I, I promise to be faithful to the word, but I also promise that we will preach the whole counsel of God's word. You know, we believe as a church that our pulpit is driven by what's called expositional preaching. In other, in other words, what was good for the original uh, reader is good for us today. We might change, contextualize, and make it a little bit more relevant for 2022, but we don't change the word. It was good then, it's good now. Can somebody just say amen to that? 
And so through this book, we're going we're gonna to see this ancient book that's going to help us to understand how we are supposed to live now. We're starting it today. We're, we're going to end it somewhere around the end of May, possibly the beginning of June, if God calls an audible somewhere in there. But right now we're slated to end it at the end of May, and I'm excited about it. There's a digital guide. You literally can go on your phone right now onto the website, the church's website. You can go on Daniel's series, and you'll see that the first one, Chosen to be Different, has opened up this morning. Every week on a Sunday, uh, I think it's about 9.30, that, uh, that week's study guide will open up for you, and that's supplemental. So what we're going to do is we're going to preach the word, we're going to get into Daniel 1, and then we pray that you would process it throughout the week. It's nothing worse than a constipated Christian. We come to work, we come to church on Sunday, we just get the word, get the word, get the word. Well, how does that flesh itself out? The study guide helps. It, it acts as a, it, it helps to flesh out the system. My wife said I was doing too much in the first service, so I got to pull it back. All right, but I'm excited about it. Do, I, I pray that you would work through it with somebody. You know, you can do it by yourself and it could just be your devotional between you and the Lord. That's fine. But it's, really encouraging to see you guys go through the book in the study guide together. So if you have a discipleship group, please make sure you're connecting with them. There's some questions at the end of it. Honest them, answer, uh, answer them honestly. If, uh, if you don't have any, any connections to the church, I don't know if you, yeah, she is. Yolanda Solomon is over there. She, she's behind the bar serving out discipleship. So y'all can come to her. That fell flat. Um, y'all can come to her and she will, she, will give you, um, she will give you discipleship. She will help you with discipleship and connect you with somebody else. Amen? All right, y'all got to promise me one thing. Y'all just not going to be quiet on me today. Like, even, even if the point don't hit, say amen anyway. Encourage me. All right, um, we're going to do the whole chapter. It's 21 verses, so I'm not going to read them. We'll read the, the whole chapter, but just not in the beginning. So I, I'm talking about choosing to be different. I'm going to pray, and we'll jump in. Uh, Lord, as we begin this book series today, we do so fully anticipating that you're going to speak to us. We don't know how you're going to meet us. You know, for some of us, we have a little bit of familiarity with the book of Daniel. We might know about the den. You know, we might know about the diet that he had. We might know about the writing on the wall of the gold statue and fiery furnace. We, we might know about a few of these things, but Lord, how does this book comprehensively work together? And how can I use it in the culture in which I live so that I can be more faithful to you? That's the, that's the end game, Lord. We, we are not here to wax eloquent or to take notes or just for some ac 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 uh, academic dump, but we are actually here to be transformed by your word. So Lord, help us to receive fully what it is that you are saying to us through chapter one of the book of Daniel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you just look at somebody? I know it's a little, little packed in here today. Just look at somebody close to you and just say, are you choosing to be different? No, don't answer. It was a rhetorical question. This ain't no conversation time. It's just a rhetorical question. Are you choosing to be different? You know, in a few months, I'm going to be celebrating my 42nd uh, birthday. And I know what you're, you're thinking, what size shoe do I wear? Ten and a half, just in case. Just in case. I do like Jordans. That's just in case it's on your mind. Um, my, my cash app is, is well, no. I don't understand this new generation with the cash app. It's like we use cash app to beg for money. You ain't hear from people all year. And then finally the day of their birthday, like, yo, my cash app is. It's like, bro, talk to me, talk to me on my birthday. But there's something... Um, there's something unique about turning 42. 
I, I am at that age that I've got to witness different generations. So grew up with both my grandmothers and not grew up with my grandmothers, but I've had both my grandmothers growing up. So I got to witness their generation. Then I got to witness my parents' generation and you know, I have my own generation. And then I now have kids that are teenagers. So I, I get to witness their generation. And do you know how much of a transformational shift has happened from my grandmother's generation to my kids' generation? There was just some stuff that grandma tolerated uh, that, that, that the boys and my boys don't tolerate. There is some stuff that uh, my grandmother didn't tolerate that the new generation does tolerate. There's a, a generational shifting. And in my opinion, there have been some good things that have shifted that have been good, that, that are like, praise God, that needed to change. But there's been some generational shifting that I would say I'm concerned about. Some of the things that I'm excited about that I love to see is I love to see that this new generation has, has shifted this thing all the way that they are interested in being self-starters. It doesn't matter if they run into school, although I encourage everybody to go to school, they, they'll start businesses, they'll get on, on YouTube, you know, they'll get on social media, and they are self-starters. I think that is a beautiful thing about the generational shift. I also love that this younger generation strongly dislikes hypocrisy. In fact, I'll say it this way, they are unwilling to go along with institutional norms that most of us went along with, at least my generation, and my parents and my grandparents would have gone along. This new generation is asking those why questions. Well, how does this work with this? And why do we do this? Whereas before generations before, we would just kind of let it go. That's what we're supposed to do. This generation asks questions that I don't think that's a bad thing. Here's why. Because back in the day, we were like, well, how does this work with this? And we, we would be met with just have more faith. But there are actually answers to your questions. And so it's good that this generation is, is strongly dislike hypocrisy and, and really likes to press the button and ask those questions. I love that this generation is vigorous about challenging systematic and upfront racism. Stuff that we allowed before, this generation is like, no, that's, that's not acceptable. I love that about this generation. I also love that this is a tech-savvy generation. You literally, before the sermon can end, the sermon will be about 40 minutes, before it can end, you can go on your phone right now and book a flight to Paris. You, you, can, you can make a reservation to Negril on 5th, and you can meet somebody on your Tinder app all before the sermon ends. Anybody know what Tinder is? No? Praise God. Y'all meet people old-fashioned way. Okay. Somebody's Googling what is Tinder. It's spelled with an I, by the way. But you can do all that before the, the sermon ends. I don't encourage you to do that, but that's how tech savvy this culture has shifted things. I think that's beautiful. I think that's good. It makes the gospel accessible. Some of you at home right now still in your PJs and you're getting the sermon and the service and worship piped in. You got to watch people be baptized and you stayed at home tech savvy. We've transitioned some things. I think it's good. Now, what are some things that concerns me? What concerns me about this younger generation or this cultural shift? It's cancel culture. I just don't, under, I don't understand it. How, how are we to see somebody make a mistake and then automatically cancel them? It is almost as though we don't give people room to grow. How many in this room know that you've made a mistake before? And it's so funny. The people that cancel other people, they cancel them as though they never made a mistake. Such a graceless culture when it comes to cancel culture. I am also concerned about the lack of commitment to the local church. Not you in this room, not those of you who are online. I know y'all super spiritual, but I think there's a growing, um, there's a growing culture 
especially within the younger generation that doesn't, those institutional norms I, I was talking about, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't need church anymore. I can, I can actually get church online. And so you listen to somebody that never pastors you, that doesn't know you, that you don't know the culture, that you're not being engaged in any way. I think it's dangerous that we don't have a lack of commitment to the local church. Again, not you in this room or you online, but I do think that there's a growing population of people that have a distaste with church. My last concern is mostly with the cultural shift, really, that I'm seeing with Christians. That, 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 that concern I have is there seems to be a shift in conformity and tolerance to be more like the culture. Christians, Chris, people who have professed faith in Jesus are saying, I don't want to necessarily be identified like you were saying with Christianity, I would rather be identified with the culture. And many times we do that because we don't want to come across to our friends as being judgmental. But, but, but what we're doing is we are allowing ourselves to put on our friends character and carnality and not asking anybody around us to put on more Jesus. It's dangerous to conform. It's dangerous to be tolerant and hide this under the umbrella of evangelism. Y'all know that's what we do. Well, I got to be all things to all people. But in reality, it is, it is not cultural relevance that you're running after. It's conformity. Conformity to what? Conformity to the culture. And so I think we do this in a few areas. You know, we no longer want to hold to the biblical view of sexuality. Y'all know I'm talking, you know, this is what the culture has subscribed to us, that I don't have to hold to a biblical view. I can do whatever I want. I can be whoever I want. We, we don't have the gender and gender roles makes no sense. We, don't, we no longer have a biblical view of manhood and womanhood. It's just hood. It's just a whatever. And I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous that somebody right now is going to see that's why I don't go to church because they're so judgmental. I promise you I'm not being judgmental. I just know that God has called his believers to be a culture within a culture. God has called his people to be a people within a people. And it is our difference that helps us to transform. Look, this is why Daniel says assimilation. No, we don't assimilate. We don't separate, but we transform. How do we transform? We transform by choosing to be different. Somebody say choose to be different. And I think that the book of Daniel is going to help us bump that. I think chapter one is going to help us to understand how do we live in a pagan culture while yet still thriving in our faith, not surviving in our faith, not hanging on by life support of our faith. But do you know, even in a culture that is anti-Christianity, you can still thrive in your faith? Ask me how I know, because Daniel and the boys are thriving in their faith while they're in a pagan culture. Now, you got to understand something. Daniel and his friends are trying to navigate their faith in this culture. And I would say, likewise, most of the room is trying to navigate your faith. In a pagan culture. Now, the pagan culture in, in the text today is, is, is a place called Babylon. Somebody say Babylon. Now, you've probably heard of Babylon before, but I think most of the times we hear about Babylon, we subscribe it to a geographical location. And although, yes, Babylon is, it was on the map, we know exactly where Babylon is, it, it's not just a geographical place, but it is symbolic to any nation or any kingdom that is opposite of God's kingdom. This is why, you know, many historians will call Rome Western Babylon. It's not that they were geographically next to each other or the same place. It's that Rome was a godless place, so they pointed it back to Babylon. 
I got to do a little bit more work on Babylon. Genesis chapter 11 records this story of the Tower of Babel. Anybody heard that story before where these people try to be unified and they get together and they say, let's build a tower that reaches up to heaven, reaches up to God. And even though they built it as high as they could, the Bible still said God had to come down. He comes down and he does something unique. He confuses the language. Now, do you know that Babel in the in the Hebrew is the same word as Babylon? God didn't even have to switch it up. It's like Babel, 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 Babylon. It's the same thing. In fact, in chapter two and verse number two of our chapter today, it mentions a place called Shinar. Shinar is Babylon. Shinar is also the place where Babel would have taken place. And so uh, if you notice Babylon, don't just think of a place that's over there. Think Babylon is any nation that is opposite of God's kingdom. So let me try to make sense of this. Brooklyn is Babylon. Your work, your job is Babylon. Somebody like, I know my, I knew my boss was from Babylon. She's very Babylonian. Your city is Babylon. Your street is Babylon because it is symbolic to anything that is anti the gospel. Any, maybe we just promise you. I know you're like, oh, we got in God we trust on our money. Do you know that at the core of this nation is Babylon? At the core of any nation is Babylon. And so what I want to do today is I want to help us to understand how are we to thrive in our faith and grow in your love for Jesus even while being in Babylon, not by assimilating into it, not by separating from it, but actually transforming it. Pastor B, how do I transform it? By choosing to be different. Now, how am I different? Number one, I don't allow sin in my life. Let me say it differently because we all sin. I don't let sin reign in my life. I don't have consistent sin that's not repented of. Do you know we get the entire book of Daniel because Israel was in sin, we wouldn't, they wouldn't be in exile if sin wasn't present. In fact, why don't you pick me up in verse 1. We good? Verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. And the Lord gave, notice who did it, the Lord gave, it wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar's army was stronger, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, Babylon, to the house of his gods. If you notice, verse one mentions this guy by the name Jehoiakim. He's the 19th king over Judah. Now, Jehoiakim, a.k.a. Jojo, he, he's not like the godliest king. Now, his father, Josiah, was a godly king. In fact, he, he took out all of the, the shrines and the idols of the temple. He put them back into touch with the covenant of God. But here his son reigns, and his son is a godless person. In fact, I'll say it, with this, I'll say it like this about his leadership. He led Israel down a spiral of unbelief, conformity, compromise, tolerance to pagan nature and disobedience. And so what God does is God warned them through the prophet Jeremiah, read through Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah warned them over and over again. In fact, if you do history on King Jehoiakim, he actually took the scroll of Jeremiah and burned it. Jeremiah had to rewrite it. That's how godless he was. And so he led Israel down this path. I just got to do some work here. He led Israel down a path of being disobedient to God. And whenever we are disobedient to God, it is under the umbrella of sin. 
Do you know that? Whenever you are disobedient to God, it is sin. And so what God does is God warns them and he warns them and he tolerates their sin. He tolerates their disobedience. And finally, he says, no more. You're going into exile. We get the rest. This is one of the only books that majority of the book, all 12 chapters takes place in Babylon, not in Israel. Only two verses there in Israel. The rest of the book is in Babylon. Why? Because of sin. And I believe that God, we're 10 minutes into the sermon, maybe 15. And I believe that God is already speaking to somebody right now. What is he saying, Pastor B? Don't you dare think that you can sin and get away with it. God always punishes sin. He sent an entire nation into exile. Why? Because of sin. Why do we think if he sent an entire nation into exile, why do you think he'll look over your sin? Don't don't you dare think that God is bluffing. I I didn't want to be angry today. I didn't want to preach this point. I really didn't. But, But the reality is there are so many of us that have become accustomed to sin. It became functional dysfunction. It became the thing, the thing that I do. And so what I do is I give a little bit of Jesus on Sunday and I might give a little bit of devotion on Wednesday, but there are times where I just fall off and I'm okay with it. I never repent. There are, there are times where I walk in plain disobedience to God and we think that God isn't going to do anything. Oh, I forgot to say something about Jehoiakim. He reigned for 11 years, which means he was in sin after sin after sin for over a decade. And what happens is many of us think that God ain't going to punish us for sin because I've already done it so long. He ain't punished me by now. But you ought to look at your neighbor and say, sin always catches up with you. Come on, can y'all talk? Look at somebody else and say, you might get away with it for now. Y'all ain't talking. You might get away with it for now, but sin always. Thank you. It always catches up to us. Listen, please don't think that you can walk in here and be in persistent sin, be a faithful follower of Jesus. At some point, you'll go into exile. Let me give Bible here. Galatians chapter six, verse seven says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he reap. You ought to wake up and know that God ain't playing with our sin. That stuff that we dibble and dabble with, it ain't cute. God looking to heaven going, I'm going to give them 11 years and then I'm going to destroy them. They better repent. And he's given us time and he's given us time and people have come to you and called you out and you've been offended. Like, girl, don't talk. I can do whatever I want. And at the end of the day, God is like, I'm sending people to you because if you don't repent, I will put you in exile. Oh, man, this is hard. I I didn't mean to go here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Because I wanted to preach something light and fluffy, but I can't get out of verse one and verse two without realizing, dang, I wouldn't even be reading this book if they repented. And I would say that for most of us in this room, many of us in this room have unconfessed sin and nobody knows about it. And you think you're good, but at some point he puts us into exile. And exile might be suffering. Exile might be pain. And yeah, that kind of stuff happens sometimes even when you're faithful. But I would rather it happen because God was purifying me and building my character. Not it happened because I put myself into it because I wouldn't repent of sin. Now, now let, let me be careful here. I'm, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about the time you fell and repented. God is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm talking about the cycle of sin where you no longer have conviction. You ever been there? Let me promise you that is God's wrath. The fact that you feel convicted is God's grace. 
But if you can go through sin and don't feel nothing, I'm scared of people that don't feel anything when they sin. Now, when I look at this and I'm like, yo, God, you put a whole nation, an entire group of people into exile because of their sin. I'm like, yo, you really don't play with sin. But can I put this? Can I can I can I go a little deeper on this idea? You know, we don't have to look at Israel going into exile to see to see how God deals with sin. You can look at the cross. We get the cross because God is like, I ain't sweeping that under the rug. I'm going to deal with their sin. And here's what's so crazy. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, it pleased the father to crush the son. It ain't like God had a bunch of sons. He had Jesus and it pleased him to crush him. Why? Because it brought us freedom. Y'all can't sing it, sit in here and sing about who the son set free is free indeed. You're free indeed because God doesn't see your sin. God doesn't see your sin because he put it on Jesus. He deals with sin. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't look over it. And so I, I'm hoping that we would be people that say, God, help me not to play with this sin. I'm hoping that we would be people that would see the consequences and say, God, I, I'm not scared and I'm not running to you because of scare tactics. I'm running to you because you're good and you forgive me. And that's why I'm running to you. Repenting of our sin. And so in this text today, he's going to say, look. I'm going to take all of Israel and I'm going to put y'all into Babylon. But while you're in Babylon, which all of us are in right now, it's not a place where you're supposed to overlook. You're supposed to overlook your faith. It's actually a place that you're supposed to thrive. Now, watch what, watch what Nebuchadnezzar does. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. The Bible says the Lord, the Lord gave him Israel. But when he comes in, he doesn't just kill everybody. Look at verse 3. It says the king commanded... Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people from Israel, both the royal family and uh, of nobility, uh, youth without blemish, a good of good appearance, and skillful and all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning and competent to stand in the king's palace. Don't miss this. To teach them the literature. That's conformity. To teach them the language of the Chaldeans. That's conformity. It says, then the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate. And when the king, what the king drank, they uh, were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these was Daniel. Somebody say Daniel. Hananiah. Somebody say Hananiah. Mishael. Somebody say Mishael. Azariah. Somebody say Azariah. Of the tribe of Judah and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Watch how their names are changed. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. Azariah, he called Bendigo. Please don't tell me the culture isn't trying to change you when it's trying to change their names. But watch this, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs not uh, to allow him not to defile himself. You should draw a line out to the margin. Circle verse 8 and draw a line out and be like, Daniel's dope. Because Daniel, in the midst of a pagan culture, would just know, if you're getting offered the king's food, that's the best food. This is the best living situation. And he's still saying, nah, I don't want it. 
I don't want it because if I take it, it will defile me. The Bible just named four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And of this group, what, what Nebuchadnezzar did was he said, when you go to Israel, kill most of the people, but bring the royal family and bring anybody that's pretty. That's what he says. And so if you're sitting here going, yo, Daniel and the boys must be pretty boys. You know, my cousins uptown, they'd be like, he is so fine. That's what they would say. If we're thinking Daniel in the same way, you got to understand something about these four boys. They would have been eunuchs. Do I have to explain what a eunuch is? Do I? Okay. As long as I don't got to explain tonight, there's a, there's, a, there's a few sermon illustrations that I'm not willing to do. Circumcision and eunuchs is one of them. These boys are eunuchs. If you think that this is an episode of Love is Blind, it is not. You're not getting in the pod with Daniel. You're not getting in the pot with Ezariah and, and Michelle. This is just not that situation because they are under the chief of eunuchs, which means they would have been eunuchs, but they're also working and living in the king's palace, which means they would have been eunuchs. And these four boys in the midst of a pagan culture don't just live in Babylon, but they work in Babylon. They don't just live in Babylon. They work in Babylon. I know you think I'm still talking about Daniel and his friends, but I'm now talking about you. We live in Babylon and we work in Babylon. And God wants us to be a faithful witness where we live and where we work. Did you know that? You're not just on that job just to be on that job. You're not on that job just to make money. You're not, you didn't just get the job because you were skilled. You were there because God put you in Babylon to live out and be a faithful witness to what he wants you to be. They are living and working in Babylon. And Babylon is trying to change them, Chris. It says, man, give them the, the literature. Teach them the language. Let me go a step further. I also want you to change their names. Now, we read this and we'd be like, oh, he just changed their names. But do you know how much Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to be part of Babylon? Look at this. Daniel's name originally meant God is my judge. It was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Baal protects the king. Hananiah's name originally was meant God is gracious. It was changed to Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, which is a moon god. Michelle's name meant there is none like God. It was changed to Meshach. There is none like Aku. Azariah's name meant God has helped me. It was changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo, which is a Babylonian god of wisdom. You got to understand that living in this culture and working in this culture is supposed to change everything about who these faithful witnesses are. And I just wonder, I wonder if the people that you're around, the culture that you live in and the job that you go on is changing you. Are you changing it? And how do we change it, Pastor B? We change it by being different. Verse 8 said, Daniel resolved that he would not eat of the king's food. He would not defile himself. And I wonder if that's our, if this week, if we could go through the week and say, well, how have I missed Mark? How have I missed the Mark? How have I conformed? I want us to go through this week, write this down and put, how have I tolerated things, God, that you have denounced if we would only be committed to God, even during the week when we're not around Christians? When you're in Babylon, when you feel your name is changing, when you feel you're being taught the language of the Chaldeans and you feel like you're being taught the literature of the Chaldeans, how is it in those moments that you can represent God and represent God well? No matter what the culture says, somebody should say, I would not defile myself. No matter what popular pe the popular belief is, I won't do it because I won't defile myself. 
No matter what the trend is, I won't do it because I don't want to defile myself. I don't care if everybody else is doing it. I won't do it because I won't defile myself. That's how you choose to be different. And I would say that's not just for you as an individual. That's for us as a church as well. You know how many churches are watering down doctrine, watering down the word, watering down the gospel to make it more palatable. And what we're doing is conforming. But as a church, I, I pray that we would make a declaration, I will not be defiled. I don't care what's cool. I don't care what's trendy. I don't care what the other churches are doing. I will not defile our church. I don't care what doctrines people are loosening up on. I will not defile God's church. I don't care if the churches around the world will let a pastor preach while he's sleeping with everybody in the church. The devil is a liar. I will not defile the church of the living God. I wish that would be a declaration. As an individual and as a, as a community, we have to make a declaration like, like, like Daniel made in verse 8. I will not defile myself. Faithfulness requires us to be different. And, and, and you know, I, I'm worried because many times we think different, and when we hear different, you hear weird. I'm not saying we should be weird Christians. You can be different and not weird. Oh, man, I need to talk to somebody in here that doesn't know the Lord and apologize because you probably ran across that one Christian and they've rubbed you the wrong way. You're like, oh, that's why I don't do Christianity because they all weird. Can I promise you I've pastored long enough. Even if they didn't know Jesus, they still would have been weird. Y'all know that? They use Christianity to promote their weirdness. But even Christians be like, yo, she weird. Oh, y'all know I'm telling the truth. Oh, he, he weird. But I think what God is calling us to is not weirdness. He's calling us to different. Somebody say different. And when we're different, we march to a different beat than everybody else marches to. You know, I went down to Baltimore to my son's college. He, he goes to Morgan State, and we went down for homecoming. You know, when you go to homecoming, there's two things you're looking for. I don't know if you're into sports, but those of you who like sports, you go for the, you go for the football game because that's homecoming. But y'all know it's the halftime show that we really there for. Because ain't no band like a HBCU band. And so we went down to Morgan and the band got up there and they, was, and they was sharp and they had the hats on. And there was one guy that mounted on top of this ladder and he had one little stick, a baton. And he was sitting there going, and everybody, boom, pop, boom, boom, boom. And they was getting down doing the boom. But they were doing the whole thing. And now when I tell you, it was so dope because they were unified. But here's what's crazy. If you listened on the loudspeaker, Lil Uzi was playing. They had Travis Scott playing. They had Drake playing. But everybody on the field drowned out the noise because they were focused. Watch this on one person. And I just believe that if we're going to be a culture within a culture, we got to march to the beat of Jesus standing and going like this. That's how we become different. And I would say that that difference has to go to your job. That difference has to go to your family. That difference has to show up in the group chat. At some point in the group chat, you got to look to Jesus on the conductor's ladder going like this. And at some point, you have to say, you know what? I ain't laughing at that. I know y'all think that's funny, but I got to show y'all and give y'all some more Jesus without being weird. Just different. Come on, look at somebody and say, don't be weird. Come on, y'all. Have y'all ever ran across a weird Christian? Yeah. yeah. It ain't nothing worse than running across a because you give, give us such a bad name. Be different. So here, Pastor B, I hear you. What you you giving me a lot of history, and you tell me about the Babylonians and Chaldeans and 
eunuchs, like, give me something practical. How am I practically supposed to walk in this 2022, in this borough, and be different? It's St. Augustine, great apologist, African man, that said the followers of Jesus are more distinguishable, most distinguishable, distinguishable from the world with their attitude towards two things, money, sex. I'm just giving you something practical. If you're out here going, well, how do I be different? Well, how do you view money versus how somebody that doesn't uh, trust Jesus view money? Let me tell you what this way. The Babylonians, just like our culture, approach money from a, a standpoint of acquisition. They think about how much can I make? How much can I store up? How much can I spend on myself? But the believer is so rocked and motivated by the gospel that we move to the marching beat of Jesus. What is the marching beat of Jesus? God so loved the world that he he gave, and so we no longer look at money as something that I store up and that I, that, I, that I put for myself and I spend on myself, but I now look at money as something that I want to be generous. And so what happens is when you get your paycheck, you should be asking, how can I further the kingdom? Do we think like that? If you and your non-believing coworker make the same amount of money and y'all spend the same way, who's really your God? How are we different? Augustine said we are different by how we view money. I know that the believer is supposed to be so motivated by the gospel that we look at money and say, I want to be generous. And that don't mean be stupid. Please keep some for yourself. Go ahead on that vacation. Don't look at your neighbor and just say, buy something new. It's all right. It's okay to do that. But it's important that we look at our money as something, as a, like as a conduit, not a puddle, but a pipeline. Not water like this that just sits. If this water sat here for years, it would just start to stink. But something that flows. I, the money comes to me, but I get to flow it out. Somebody say where the money resides, where the money resides. It's supposed to flow. Where he at, by the way? The money's supposed to flow. It's supposed to flow through you. So you are different by how you view money, but we're also different by how we view sex. How would Babylon have viewed sex? Babylon would have viewed sex from the standpoint of it's all about me. I can sleep with who I want, where I want, how I want, and when I want. But the Christian is countercultural. We don't think of sex like that. We don't think sex is bad. We think it's good in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. That's how we would view it. And I know somebody like, oh, see, here it is. You know, that, that kind of stuff is offensive. But that's what, it, that's what God calls us to when it relates to being different, with being countercultural. I no, long, no longer look at sex as just something that I do as hedonism. I just do to get off. Now, that's not what sex is. It is in the context of marriage, and God says it's good. You know, when we grew up, it was like, sex is bad, don't have sex. Sex is bad, don't have sex. Sex is bad, don't have sex. And you get married, you're like, wait, well, I'm supposed to have sex? It's good? The first mention of sex, do you know God said be fruitful and multiply? That's the first mention in the Bible of sex, and it was good. It wasn't negative. It wasn't perverted. But how Babylon views sex is a perverted view. How we view sex, how we become different in this culture and transform the culture is by viewing sex the way God viewed it in the context of marriage. So how are we different? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were all different. They, they walked different. They said, don't give us the king's food. Because I don't want to defile myself. And just like sin has consequence, I would say faithfulness comes with reward. But I have to be careful here. Chris, I got to be careful because not, not every time you're faithful 
where you feel like it's a reward. Sometimes you'll be faithful and mind your own business and God will put you in hardship. So I got to be careful here. But in the overarching theme of our faithfulness, God honors faithfulness. In fact, there's some words that are used in this passage that show us how he honors it. Verse number nine says, and God gave Daniel, watch the word, favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has assigned your food and drink. For why should I for why should he see you when you were in worse condition than the other youths who are in your own age? So you, so you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the, is the chief of the eunuchs, had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us not be given anything but vegetable. Let us, it says, let us eat and drink water, and then let our appearance and the appearance of our youths who eat with your servants according to what you see. It says, so he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days and at the end of 10 days it was seen that they were better somebody say better in appearance and fatter somebody say fatter in their flesh than all the other youth who were at the king's food who ate the king's food so the steward took away their food and wine and they were to drink and drink and gave them vegetables as for, uh, it says, as these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and literature. Pay attention to this. And wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought to the chief of eunuchs, uh, brought to them before the king Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among them, don't miss this. Among them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired, they found them, don't please underline this, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters who were in the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Please don't miss what's happening. Daniel and the boys... Say, we are requesting a different diet. First of all, nothing is more frustrating. You're in the house with a group of people and one person requests a different meal. And they prisoners. See, in my house, you know, my, my, my son is away at school, like, like I said, and, you know, I miss him. Uh, but one of the things that I'm grateful about is that he has a different diet. He has different tastes than we have. So the, the rest of us in the house, we can cook one meal. When my oldest son was there, he was like, oh, that's too mushy. That's too wet. I don't like this. I don't like that. And so we would be like, yo, eat cereal or don't eat. Because, you know, grandma said, I ain't making two meals. So we ain't making two meals for you. You got to eat what, what you want to eat. But this is what we cooking. And ex that's exactly what they are doing. You know how frustrating this is? They went to the chief of eunuchs and said, give us something else to eat. And the chief of eunuchs was like, I'm worried about that. Because if you become frail or look unhealthy, or malnutrition, I'm going to be in trouble. You're supposed to eat the king's food. And he said, nah, nah, nah. I, I, I know what to do. Give us just vegetables. Now, let me be real, real clear. I'm not preaching about the Daniel fast today because the, what Daniel is doing is not necessarily just about the food, like about the Daniel fast. He is making a disposition and saying, I'm going to be different. That's what he's doing. And so if you're in here and you're like, oh, Pastor B about to tell us all to be vegetarians, that's what I'm talking about. Listen, if you're a vegetarian, praise God. But don't bother us that eat ribs. Come on, can somebody say amen? 
and, 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 and burgers and come on now, and some stew. Don't bother us. We eat it with vegetables. And so what he says is he's like, don't give us that food and we will be stronger. We will be fatter. But not only that, we will be the most wise. And the king found them 10 times better. In other words, God gave them favor. Please don't miss this. He gave them favor because they were different. He gave them favor because they pushed against what the culture said. And many of you in here, you're looking for favor from God and you're looking to get success, but you're doing so going along with the crowd. And God is like, get out the stairs, listening to little Uzi and get on the field and march to the conductor's beat. And that's different. That's different. And so some of you right now, you, the whole time I'm preaching, you sit there going, man, I, I know he's talking to me. I, I know I've conformed in some areas. I know I've loosened up on convictions. I know there were some things that I used to hold to, but I no longer hold to those things. I know I've watered it down because after a while, I started to convince myself that it was okay. Sin is never okay. Disobedience is never okay. Being like everybody else is never okay. But it is the difference that helps us to transform. Are you willing to be different in this room? Are you willing to be countercultural? Are you willing to be a city within a city, a people within a people? Are you willing to push against the cultural norms? But let me tell you, I want to warn you, it might make you embarrassed a little bit. It, it, might make, it might make you seemingly not fit. But you ought to know that not fitting is okay. God didn't make you to fit in there anywhere. God didn't make you to be with her. That's why it don't feel right. God didn't make you to just to, to, to walk through this life and be like everybody else. He wants you to be different. Now, I, 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 can't, I can't end without saying this because many times, you know, when we preach through the book of Daniel, we just make it all about the character. But do you know that this book is less about Daniel and pointing us to Daniel's King Jesus? Because Jesus is the only one, the only one that perfectly displays the kingdom of God here on earth. See, Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself with food. Jesus says, I'm not going to defile myself at all. And so when you are being different, really what we're calling you to is be more like Jesus. When we're calling you to be different, we're calling you to display the gospel. We're calling you to do what Jesus did. Jesus was different. He didn't do what everybody else did. He was countercultural, and he perfectly displayed the kingdom of God. And I believe that God will honor it. As we start this sermon series, I believe that God is calling us to repentance today. I think that's where we need to start. I don't think we, somebody get Josh, we can play something. I don't think we need to start at the point of just academics. We get the whole book because they're in sin. I know, I'm not a naive pastor. I know that some of you have walked in here and there's unconfessed sin. I know there's unrepented sin. So the start of being different and choosing to be different is actually repenting. How is that different? Because the world doesn't repent, but you should. Because the more you follow Jesus, the more you desire to repent. The more you follow Jesus, the more we realize that grace isn't a license to sin, but it actually stirs my affections for God. God, you forgave me for that? I want to follow you. I want to live for you. And there's somebody in this room today, that's, that's you. Everything I'm talking about, about being different, you have, you have conformed to the world. And in doing so, there's a cycle of sin that you have not repented of. 
but God is calling us to repentance today. No altar call. Everybody's on the altar today. Every head bow, every eye closed. You know, one of the greatest fears I have as a pastor is that people would come in and hear the sermon and say, cute sermon, and walk out and do nothing with it. I think that's anybody that preaches. You don't preach just academics. We do so for transformation. So I pray that everybody in this room that is under the sound of my voice, no matter how often you come to the church, no matter what good you did this week, that you would look in the areas of your life that you need to repent of, that you would come to God. Here's the beauty that God fully accepts you when you get there. We confess our sins. He's faithful. Forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, I thank you for everybody that's in this room. We've tolerated things that you've told us not to. We've conformed in areas where you've told us not to. We've watered down our convictions because the culture does it. Because that's cultural. We ain't doing that no more. That's 2022. But Father, help us to be faithful to you no matter what year it is. Because here's the reality. You honor faithfulness. And this is, Father, we're not preaching some manual to how to get favor with you. We are favored in the cross beyond, we'll, beyond what we'll ever imagine. But it is true that you do honor faithfulness. You do honor holiness. You do honor our godliness. And so, Father, help somebody today to walk away from sin. Maybe they're in a stronghold or an addiction or it's just hard to walk away. It's complex. It's not easy. Father, would you help us today? Give us the power, the Holy Spirit. Give us the power to break free from that sin. And Lord, at the end of the day, Lord, we thank you for Daniel and his friends. But Father, ultimately, we thank you for you. That displays the kingdom to us perfectly. And may you be our model, not Daniel. We thank you for, for the faithfulness of Daniel and the boys. But Father, help pray that Jesus would be our model today. Because he perfectly walked this life. And even though we can't do so perfectly, we can strive to be like more like you. More like your son. So we thank you, Lord. I pray that everybody in this room, that we would be people that choose to be different. 